Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Torbjörn Eklund, who is author of In Praise of Paths, Walking Through Time and Nature. We will discuss the benefits of walking. Torbjörn is co-founder of Harvest, an online magazine documenting wilderness adventures, environmental issues, and our relationship with nature. He lives in Oslo, Norway. Torbjörn, welcome. Thank you, and uh, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I have read your book with interest, in particular now that we are in the middle of a pandemic, walking and paths and nature seem especially appealing. Let's start with something very basic. What do you mean when you say in the title, in praise of paths? Because perhaps they're not a universal concept, paths. Is it a paved path? Is it a wilderness path? What are you referring to? I think mostly I'm referring to uh, the paths that uh, occur naturally when uh, people choose to walk a certain uh, a certain uh, way and a certain place. Uh, eventually, there will be a path there because uh, uh, so many people have walked uh, in the same place. So mostly I write about uh, the paths that have... Uh, you know, came uh, come into being uh, in an organic way, I think. And you talk in the book about some of the paths in your life that not only are they part of your life since you were a child, but they're part of life in the area where you live for your forebears and before that. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, I can, because when I was writing uh, the book and uh, walking the paths, uh, it occurred to me that uh, the paths that I walked, especially the ones that I knew from before, the ones that I had walked uh, since I was a, a little child, they contained uh, a story. Uh, a story uh, of my family because uh, they were located around a small farm in the middle of uh, the Norwegian woods where my grandparents lived. So all these paths that were hundreds of years old, they told a story about how these people had moved around, you know, like uh, through the wood to a field where they uh, had, uh, where they grew food or down to the lake where they washed their clothes, um, stuff like that. So uh, it occurred to me more and more uh, as I wrote the book that the paths are not only uh, a physical thing, it's also a you know, mental thing, or it contains uh, stories. And apparently you liked pine cones or you did as a boy walking around that those paths that you talk about do you remember that i remember it and i remember i think uh and that's a very funny and interesting thing uh when i walk these paths again now uh, uh as i wrote the book uh, all these memories came back to me uh as i saw the places, a small turn uh, on the path, uh, a hill or a small creek that uh, went underneath the path. So all these things uh, I came to remember, and I think it has something to do with uh, the landscape that surrounds the path. Uh, it, it, it's like it refreshes your uh, memories uh, from uh, way back. Now, there was a particular reason that you got started on this journey. You were a writer, of course, uh, but your life changed in a very particular way, and that changed your, not your literal path, but perhaps your literal path as well. 
in a direction that resulted in the writing of this book. Would you tell us about that? Well, it was a very strange experience. I think it's five years ago now. And I was uh, down in the center of Oslo to interview a British writer who had just written a book that was uh, translated to Norwegian. Uh, and I sat down with him in an office, and uh, I remember very clearly that I asked him uh, the first question I had on my uh, uh, I had, and then uh, he started answering. And I remember something very strange happened in my head. So I only saw his lips move, but I didn't understand what he was saying. Uh, and that's the last thing I remember from from that interview. And I woke up in an ambulance uh, and was taken to the hospital. Stayed there for three or four days. Uh, and then uh, uh, a doctor came into my room and he said, uh, you have uh, epilepsy. And one of the consequences of having epilepsy is that you can no longer drive a car. And I remember I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, okay, one thing is to have epilepsy, but another thing is to not being able to drive a car. And I think I thought that uh, losing my driver's license was uh, far worse. That was my first thought. But then, uh, laying in, in the hospital bed, uh, thinking about it, I did that for maybe one day and then suddenly I realized that uh, this is no problem at all. I'm, I used to be a, a person who drove a car, now, now I'm a person who walks. So it was a very strange experience because I would have thought that not being able to drive a car would be uh, incredibly impractical and uh, making everything very complicated, but it didn't. I just started walking, and I've walked now for five years without ever uh, missing my car. I think for a lot of people, certainly for people living in areas where there is no good public transportation system, and that's certainly true here in the United States. Most cities here don't have good public transportation, certainly not timely and reliable and widespread. So getting around for many people, many business people, is almost unthinkable without a car. And if you add to that being in a cold climate, certainly from where I'm sitting in Florida, the, we're on the opposite extreme of that, but the idea of getting around in snow and ice and rain seems intimidating but as you describe it in the book it was a transition not just a physical transition but a mental one that has taken you to a better place is that right that's absolutely right uh, and uh, of course i understand that a lot of people uh, live this that uh, Far, far. Uh, they have to maybe travel far to to get to work, uh, and if possible, public transportation. So I'm really lucky because I live just uh, four or five kilometers from the center of Oslo, uh, the capital of Norway. So in that sense, it's easy for me. But still, I would like to say that um, for all people, it's possible to. Uh, at least replace the cars, uh, the cars sometimes. So if you just uh, kind of adjust your habit uh, of using the car uh, a little bit, I think most people will experience that it's it's actually possible to to walk to many places. It takes a uh, it takes a lot of time compared to driving a car, but uh, that aspect as well is something that you get used to. So if I have to go to a meeting now on the other side of the center of Oslo, uh, I automatically um, think, how long does it take to get there uh, on foot? 
So it might take one hour and 50 minutes. I start walking one hour and 50 minutes before the meeting. So everything takes uh, takes uh, more time than when you use a car, but, but you get used to that as well. So uh, I think for some people it's possible, but not for others. And I'm really privileged being a writer. I can, you know, I can decide uh, most of the things I do from day to day and um, stuff like that. So, uh, and uh, not everybody can that, of course. In some places, walking in the middle of the day might not be doable. I'm thinking, for example, there were places in Arizona that had temperatures, what was it that I read, 140 degrees Fahrenheit? I'm not sure how much that's at centigrade, but it was uh, incredible in the city. So I can't imagine walking in the middle of the day in that temperature. Even here in Florida in the 90s, you'd be hard-pressed to walk an hour and 15 minutes in the sun. You'd have to work your way up to that maybe. Yeah. What was the biggest Uh, adjustment for you in that regard? You know, now you're at that point where you work the distance and the time was what was that adjustment process like for you well um it wasn't that hard uh, really because uh, what walking is uh, when you walk you uh, you can decide uh, your own speed so you just i've never walk i never walk very fast i just walk in uh, in a, a speed that seems natural t- uh, to me which is somewhere between five and six kilometers an hour. Uh, And if you do that uh, day after day, week after week, you will quite fast, uh, you know, get in shape uh, to walk in that particular uh, tempo. So um, I think everyone will manage to do that. You just start at a pace that seems natural for you. Uh, and you walk and you walk and then suddenly it's the most natural condition in the world. What would you say is the greatest benefit that you have gleaned from walking in your life? Uh, a lot less stress than I had before. I'm I'm much more relaxed when it comes to just about everything. Uh, so walking uh, obviously have a a mental aspect that's probably I would say the most important uh, of all because uh, for me it's like uh, it's like my thoughts and my brain almost is walking uh, just as much as my feet. Um, it it's liberating in a way, I think, to, to walk uh, because you have this uh, speed that doesn't really make you tired. Uh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't cause, uh, you know, a lack of oxygen. It's not like when you're running, when you're very, at least uh, I am when I'm running, I'm very aware of my own body. I can feel, you know, the pain in my legs or... Uh, in my chest when breathing, nothing of that is uh, present when you walk. So you have time to think, and uh, I use it very much as a kind of uh, problem-solving uh, uh, thing. And I think for, for people uh, that work much, uh, that have uh, demanding jobs, many decisions to make, many dilemmas, stuff like that walking is the perfect tool uh, i even often or at least when i'm in the woods and not uh, in the middle of the city i sometimes talk aloud with myself uh, to, to to clear my to clear my ma- mind it sounds a bit eccentric but uh, it really works so you don't walk around downtown oslo talking to yourself you wait until you get to the woods I wait until I get into the woods and then I start talking, yeah, yeah. Probably in uh, 10, 15, 20 years I'll talk aloud even in the city, but um, <laughs> but as for now I try to keep my mouth shut. How do you see walking in the city 
versus walking in the woods because it's a very different experience, right? Oh, yeah, it is. Well, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, for me, in many ways, it's uh, there are some similarities. Uh, and I think the most important one is that you observe a landscape. That's what you do when you walk because because your speed is so low, you have time to observe almost everything that surrounds you. And uh, uh, cities and uh, woods are landscapes. They're really, of course, very different, but they're still landscapes. So um, uh, for me, it's quite similar. Uh, the, one of the major differences, of course, is that uh, when you walk in the city, you can observe people. In the woods, uh, hopefully, there's not that many people, so you have to you have to focus on other things. But but I in my book I write a lot about it, and I don't know how it's how it is in in the U.S., but in Norway, people tend to romanticize uh, walking in the woods or in in the mountains or uh, well in nature, uh, whereas walking in the city is somewhat more stressful and. Uh, uh, chaotic, but for me, I think uh, well, I think they're both uh, as good, uh, but on in different ways, of course. But I mean, like when I go to a, a city that that I've never been to before, uh, I always walk because if you if you take the subway or a cab or something like that, you will never get any. You will never get to know the city. You will never get to know the distances between two places and stuff like that. So I always walk, and uh, which is for me an amazing thing. Perfect, really. Now, there's also been a transition for your family because this walking didn't affect just you in a vacuum. It affected your family as well, and there was a transition period right yeah it was because for them uh, it was a very strange thing that i suddenly <laughs> that i couldn't drive anymore and that my my uh, if we need a car uh, we sometimes do especially if we go to our cabin which is located about 150 kilometers south of oslo uh, we need the car or at least when we're a family, we need the car. I, I go by train and then walk from the train station. But the family needs a car. So they were all very uh, surprised and, uh, of course, a bit anxious that I had this um, epilepsy diagnosis. But uh, eventually they got used to it as well. And my, my, my two kids, are uh, they've seen me having these seizures. And, with, and uh, you, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it's... It, it looks very, it looks terrible, really. So they were shocked the first times, but, well, I, I guess they have become used to it as well. So uh, now we're just accustomed to having it like that. And um, I do all the shopping because my wife is working a lot. And as a writer, I can decide just about everything myself. So I, uh, I have this huge backpack uh, that I, I go to the supermarket and uh, fill it up with uh, groceries and stuff, and then I walk back. So every afternoon when my children see me coming home from work, they see a man with a huge backpack full of full of uh, different stuff. For many of us who have not lived in Oslo, we think of Norway as a very cold place with ice and snow. Does the weather impede or slow down your walking, your errands, even to go get groceries? Does that have any effect on your walking? Uh, no, not really. Uh, the... the it's of course it's a bit more um, it's more hassle in the winter if it's a lot of snow but walking in uh, in cold weather is actually quite nice because the the air you breathe is very you know clear and uh, uh, so 
I really like that. It's more difficult or uh, when uh, like uh, in Florida when you, when it's very hot, it's it's uh, then uh, it's a lot tougher to walk uh, far distances in uh, in heat than in in the cold weather. So I just uh, put on my winter boots and uh, I walk ahead. And you know, a funny thing is that if you walk into the woods in the winter when it has snowed during the night, for instance, you can see the paths, uh, same paths. People choose the same uh, ways uh, walking through the forest as they do in summertime. And I think even though they they're not really aware that there is a path underneath the snow. They just choose the same way because, as I write about in my book as well, there is something very fundamental in us uh, that makes us choose the most, how shall I put it, the most rational way through a landscape, which is, of course, uh, as we all know, uh, the way of the least resistance, as I think you, you call it in English. Not the shortest way between uh, two uh, points, but the... Uh, the way the road of least resistance you know when i was reading that in your book you you talk about these ancestral paths perhaps the paths that your ancestors the people who came to norway from somewhere else might have taken and one of the thoughts that came to my mind is also when you go to places that have wildlife is that the animals create paths the places where they walk, and of course humans and animals sometimes end up sharing paths, is that, do you think that it's automatic? You you talk about that in the book, that even without realizing it, that people are just steps away from those ancestral paths. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you would. Um, I think you're absolutely right uh, about that. And I've written a lot about it because I found it very interesting uh, the way our brains work without us being really aware of it when we walk through landscapes um, that has no paths at all. So you have to you have to you have to make a lot of choices. Should I go uh, on the right side of this uh, big uh, tree or on the left side? Should I try to cross this uh, uh, wet area uh, or should I walk around it? Stuff like that. We make decisions all the time and they're probably based on the same uh, way of thinking that our forefathers had, you know, like from from the last, from after, at least in Norway and uh, and also in uh, in the U.S. Um, from after the last ice age, we can't see any paths uh, that, uh, as old as that. But we we know quite a lot about how they uh, navigated and how they found their way through through the landscapes. So I've had a lot of. It's been really funny for me to to study it and to write about it because uh, one of the things that. Uh, uh, tells a lot about uh, that is uh, the way we make uh, shortcuts. So I have this three theory in my book. You can see, like, if there is uh, if there is a lawn between two streets, you would almost always see that people have, uh, you know, like cut the corner and made a shortcut over this uh, lawn. Uh, and I think what what uh, what is you know. The way we think uh, is that if this uh, lawn is easy to cross, we will automatically cross it. If it's difficult, we will choose to walk around it. So all these shortcuts that you can see absolutely all over, especially when you start looking for them, they are uh, they are a manifestation of this. Uh, uh, road of least uh, resistance, I think. It's uh, really funny to see it, and I write about it in my book because it was one early winter morning when it uh, had snowed a lot during the night. I went down to the city center, and uh, I saw all this, you know, like people making the first tracks in the snow in the morning, and you could study how they were moving, business people, 
that were hurrying to work, etc. And they were, I guess, or think, that's at least my theory, they were all moving uh, based on some ancient principles, I think. Even though they were working in finance and having uh, nice suits and were very modern and busy people. Is there a difference between walking and hiking? And if so, what is it? Well, there is there is a difference because, uh, as I see it, hiking is more uh, ambitious in a way. And sometimes people might feel that hiking requires, uh, you know, good physical shape, uh, stamina, etc., etc. So I I write uh, a lot about hiking uh, in my book, but I try to keep it very, uh, you know, I try to keep it uh, in a way that uh, is possible for everybody to participate in. And I don't think you have to walk on all these very ambitious trails, uh, hundreds of kilometers, to get a feeling uh, about how it is to walk. I think many people would have a lot of uh, joy if they try to just implement it into their everyday life. So I guess, for me, that's the most important aspect of walking, to use it as a means of transportation, not only as a you know as a sport or uh, or as a kind of physical practice you also talk about walking without that pressure and getting lost as being part of the joy of walking is just walking you go through that in the book this whole concept of just going into the mountains and finding your way without the use of modern technology. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a very exciting and strange experience. And I think that's also an experience uh, everybody could could and should try to, to have because I walked – or I, I took the train uh, to the other side of a, a great forest that is located just outside Oslo. Uh, and uh, we, we jumped off the train, me and a friend. And our only plan was to get back, to walk through the woods back to, uh, to Oslo without any means of uh, navigation. So we didn't have anything. Uh, we just uh, started walking, and our plan, of course, was to follow the sun, as uh, you know, as we have seen in movies and read in books, the way people uh, used to navigate back in in the old days. And uh, this wood is a probably uh, the distance between uh, the northern uh, edge of the wood and Oslo is approximately 40 kilometers. And we started to walk. We walked for two days, and um, then we came to uh, we came to a lake and decided to check the GPS that I had in the uh, in my uh, in my backpack. Without uh, the the rule was not to to check this GPS before we uh, we came to the lake. And then we had walked for. I can't exactly remember uh, how long, but I think about 20 hours. And uh, and we had walked, I can't really remember how many kilometers, but in average one kilometer an hour. Uh, if if you, you know, like the shortest, uh, the shortest way be, be, uh, between where we started and where we ended up uh, was five kilometers. And we had probably walked 25 or something. So it uh, it, it occurred to me that uh, I was very happy that there uh, some somebody had made the paths in these woods before us because otherwise we would be completely lost. But the funny thing about it was that when you are in such a landscape without really knowing where you are, uh, you start thinking. And you start noticing small and bigger things around you that might help you uh, to find your way. 
So uh, it was a strange thing to do, but I would uh, recommend everybody to try it because because it was a really funny uh, experience. Did that walk prove your theory of the path of least resistance? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it was impossible to walk in a straight line. Uh, we realized that uh, immediately because there were, you know, like mountains and creeks and uh, all sorts of obstacles. Uh, so we had we 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 realized that we uh, for every like 200 meters you had to stop and then. Um, make a plan for uh, how you would move for the next 200 meters. And when you do that, you quite, uh, you easily lose track because you, because, uh, because you make turns all the time. So I think we walked for five hours or so because before it got dark the first night and already then we, we didn't have any clue <laughs> where we were actually located. So um, it's impossible not to choose the way of least resistance. It, it's really impossible because, you know, nature is a chaotic place. It, it's not designed for... Uh, there are no straight lines in nature, so you have to make all these turns. And, of course, oftentimes if we are on a an official hiking trail, there are ways to sort of cheat that because... There will be pebbles or an arrow or a ribbon tied around a tree that mark where the trail is, right? Yeah. But what you did was different. You buried your phone and technological devices that you might be tempted to cheat with at the bottom of your backpack, right? Mm -hmm. And you followed a path that wasn't necessarily marked, if I remember correctly. You just kind of were following your line of sight to try to get to the lake? That's right. So uh, that was like the basic principle. We were not allowed to follow any paths. We had to find our own way. And uh, what happened was that uh, you, you get so... Uh, aware of everything around you when you walk on a you know like a marked trail you can just walk and think uh, of uh, other things you don't have really have to focus on where you're walking and uh, and why you're walking at exactly that particular place but when you walk off the paths you have to concentrate absolutely all the time you have to focus on absolutely everything uh, so it makes it a very very different experience but what happened was that we quite quite early discovered uh, that there are paths from animals all over, and uh, they're like you know they they uh, walk uh, based on the same principle as we do. So so if you find uh, animal paths, you can follow them and you can be sure that they are um, uh, always the most rational way to move through that particular landscape. So in this uh, this uh, forest outside Oslo, there is a lot of moose. You know, they're quite big animals, so they make uh, very, very visible uh, paths uh, in the woods. So we follow them pretty much all of the time. Uh, it was very fascinating because I would never have discovered these paths if I was walking on some, uh, you know, some some tourist path with signs and all that stuff. You talk about some of the, these very touristy paths or these very well-known paths like the famous El Camino in uh, Spain, although I think it starts in France and ends in Spain. Is that right? Yeah, I think it does, yeah. Or uh, I think there's one in Japan. Uh, there's one the Inca Trail in Peru the Tour de Mont Blanc in Switzerland, France, and Italy. That seems like a very different experience if you're walking or in the U.S., like the Appalachian Trail, where you could be walking for more than a week. Yeah, I guess the Appalachian Trail, you can walk for days and days without seeing people. 
so it, that's pretty much like the the trails or paths you can walk in Norway. But in Central Europe, there's really not mu- that much wilderness left. So uh, it's so it's so densely populated. So these some of these paths are really uh, uh, I've never walked them, or at least I've never walked them uh, the entire distance like the the one uh, from France to to Spain. But I I have friends that have, and uh, you walk actually in in very populated areas. So you can you don't have to bring a tent and a sleeping bag and stuff like that. You can you can actually sleep in a hotel and then walk on the next day. And many of these paths, uh, of course, have uh, have uh, some kind of uh, religious uh, meaning, uh, you know, like the pilgrimages from from the Middle Ages and even earlier than that. So, so they were actually like created by people that had a particular religious motive for walking at exactly that place. Now, you talk about a spiritual side to walking, and you talk about a a time when you were on the island on vacation, and you just kind of kept walking and uh, took off your shoes. Tell us a little bit about that, if you would. (laughs) Yes, uh, it was probably quite um, late in the process of writing the book, because as I wrote and as I walked, I became more and more interested in, how shall I put it, experimenting a little bit. And, and uh, you know, it's, well, the tool we use for walking is our feet. And we always have these uh, uh, thick boots or boots or uh, sneakers with soles uh, underneath. Uh, which uh, makes us uh, makes it difficult to f- uh, more difficult to feel feel the earth beneath your feet really. So I started walking without shoes, uh, which is very you know in the beginning it's very painful because uh, you know small stones and stuff uh, gives you pain. But after a very short while, uh, the skin gets thicker and you don't really notice any pain anymore. Oh, uh, I really enjoyed it, and I still do. Uh, I've walked barefoot all summer. Now it's uh, fall in Norway, and it's getting colder, so I have to put on some shoes. But uh, it's it's a way of walking that kind of connects you even more with the landscape that you walk through. And uh, I must add that uh, when you walk barefoot, uh, especially I would think in Florida, you will soon discover that you don't really need shoes. You you don't really need shoes. Maybe maybe when you're in an office meeting, you should put on some shoes, but uh, in your spare time, you don't really need them. I just finished reading a book from, I think he's a, a foot therapist, I, I'm not sure, and he is an advocate of barefoot walking just the same way that you are. He says that it is healthier for your body, that many of the pains and damage that we have to our body, hips, knees, ankles, feet, are the result of wearing footwear, that the shoes, the very expensive sports shoes, are designed in a way that is counter to the way that our bodies are designed to function. And he's a big advocate of barefoot walking. As I read that, the things that came to my mind were the elements, of course, as you were saying, you know, walking in weather conditions, certainly in when it's slippery in rain or ice or snow, it could be very hazardous. Uh, but also in an urban environment, it's dirty. There's no other way to put it. I don't know if Oslo is a very pristine city, but even so, there's, you know, dog poo on the sidewalks and broken glass and pebbles and all manner of substances that I would rather not <laughs> describe in detail. Yeah. 
how do you get around that? Well, I don't really think that much about it, uh, to be honest. I, I, uh, but I uh, must say that you need to wash your feet in a total, totally different way when you walk without shoes because uh, they, they get so dirty, they're almost impossible to, to get clean afterwards. So my wife doesn't really always appreciate, uh, appreciate it. But uh, no, I don't really, I, I don't mind being dirty and, uh, and uh, looking a bit strange. But um, the benefits are a lot bigger than the disadvantages. So, and I think uh, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, the book you, the book you referred to, about uh, barefoot walking uh, being uh, healthier than using shoes. Uh, I have the same experience myself because I think uh, all all the steps you take are uh, none of the steps you take are uh, like the 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 other one. You always move in a. It's like your feet notices the small differences underneath underneath them, so you you will automatically adjust. Uh, to the to the the uh, the landscape you walk on uh, to a much greater extent than when you have shoes because then all your steps will be uh, identical really so if you if you also were, uh, walk on in street, on the streets in in the cities which are totally flat you will uh, probably um probably uh wear out your body in a way you know like your hips and and your uh, your back so my experience is that if you walk barefoot you will uh, you will walk in a, a much more uh, varied manner uh, kind of you mean varied in terms of your adapting to the landscape as you walk yeah that your body will automatically adapt. So, like, uh, uh, like um, if you if you walk on some sharp stones with shoes on, you won't even notice them. So you'll just put your put your foot down and keep walking. If you do it with uh, without shoes, you will notice these uh, stones and you will uh, take a much lighter step. So everything everything sort of uh, all all your steps are. Are different, and I think that you know that makes the body, how shall I put it, more more uh, dynamic, or uh, how to say it, which is probably very good for it, because especially maybe maybe your back. The journey that you took in the book starts out with this cabin, and it seems to play a very important role. It's a family cabin. It's a place where you began life in many ways. Why did you find it important to include in the book? What is the significance of the cabin for you? Well, it uh, it was uh, our uh, family cabin. So we used to spend uh, all weekends and all vacations in that very small cabin by a lake. Uh, quite close to where my grandparents uh, lived or used to live, and behind the cabin was a small path, where the, uh, and we always used to walk it because I don't know how it is in the U.S., but in Norway uh, we are people are very uh, very. Um, we 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 seem to think of walking uh, as a very important thing to do, not only for for the exercise, but to you know, like you know to to I don't know to consolidate family life or something like that. We call it tur uh, in Norwegian, and it's uh, difficult to translate this uh, term, but it 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 means basically just to go for a walk. So we always walked this little path behind the cabin, uh, and as I as we walked it, I got to know it in detail. You know, like when you're a little child, you always uh, keep your eyes 
fixed on the ground bef- be- just beneath you. So I knew like all the rocks, all the trees, the flowers, everything along this path. So when I wrote the book, uh, I hadn't walked it for maybe, yeah, 30 years, maybe more. So I decided to go back and walk it again. And this little path uh, led to some uh, fields that my grandparents used to used to uh, have for their um, cattle. So the the cattle were actually grazing there in the in the in the summer. So and uh, the farm was uh, they they hadn't run the farm for many many years, so the path was no longer in use. There was no point in walking this path because uh, there were no nobody had anything to do in in the woods. So when I walked back um, and I went back to walk it again, which is I do in the 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 final chapter in my book, it was a very strange experience because I knew uh, where it was, but I could hardly see it. It was like I had to really study the ground to see the remains of uh, the path we used to walk. And then uh, I was astounded of uh, the length of the path because I I remembered it as very long, maybe 20 kilometers. And after I had walked it, I, I went into Google Maps to, to find out how long it really was. And it, it turned out to be 350 meters long. So uh, it was a very funny experience, and it I think, uh, well, there is some truth buried in the fact that I remembered it as a lot longer than it really was. They say that our memories change from our childhood, the things that we thought were bigger and tall, uh, the dimensions are affected. Do you think that's true? Definitely. In this uh, particular case, uh, it was definitely true. So for me, that uh, in my in my in the book, I I uh, write that um, paths in a way are like stories, and that in this case, the story is much longer than the path itself. Because I had filled it with so many memories that um, that it had become like you know like a, almost a mythical distance, like my own uh, Appalachian Trail almost. You quote an author, I forget the title in the book, who says that stopping in ancient times was equivalent to committing suicide. Do you think that's still true? Well, um, uh, after the last uh, ice age, uh, people were nomads. You know, they 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 weren't like staying in the same place. Uh, that happened many thousand years later. Like five, I guess, at least in in Norway, that was about five thousand years ago and the ice age uh the, the last ice age was over uh, maybe about ten thousand years ago so the first people that moved north in europe uh, were nomads they were hunters and gatherers so they had to walk all the time if they had stayed in the same place they wouldn't they would have they wouldn't have survived because they had to follow the animals and um and uh, find uh new resources all the time so uh, today we don't have to do that of course we can stay in our apartments and houses uh, for all our lives but still there is some some kind of i think there is something in us that uh there is a a kind of urge to to move to to uh, to be on the move to be to be heading towards something unknown uh, it's probably not coincidental that so many movies and uh, songs and uh, books are about people that's leaving one place and heading for another. So there is something very fundamental in that. I read somewhere, I can't remember right now where it was, that there is a gene 
found in people who are fond of traveling that makes them take risks in the name of travel and that they believe this is perhaps what drove our ancestors to move. Do you think that perhaps people who are fond of walking and walking trails, for example, might have that gene? That's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, not all of us like to travel. A lot of us enjoy to stay in the same place uh, all the time, which is very understandable. I, I do that as well. I like to, you know, be in my home and walk around in the garden and stuff like that. But yeah, some people are really, pro uh, yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some people have this, uh, ha have a gene that says, move on, move on. Don't stay in the same place too long. What suggestions would you share with our listeners who are interested in this idea of walking for physical and perhaps mental health and want to learn more in addition, of course, uh, to reading your book, but want to know more about the mechanics of walking, perhaps this concept of barefoot walking that you're talking about, anything else where they might gain a better understanding of the issues involved and the benefits, etc. Well, I have one particular thing that I uh, that I did during uh, my writing of the book, which was very fascinating for me, and that was I decided to walk uh, a particular distance. Uh, and use uh, a certain amount of time walking it. So I think it was about 20 kilometers, and I decided to use, uh, I think, 12 hours. So what, what I had to do was that I had to walk very slow uh, all the time. I, I've never walked that slow before. But then I walked for 12 hours, uh, which was a very, very long time, and 20 kilometers is also a, a quite a long distance. But it was a very strange experience because it was like uh, I didn't get tired. Uh, it was in many ways the opposite of the way people are used to work out because you're, you're used to, if you're running, you used to start running and then you run as fast as you can until you're tired. And you check your uh, wristwatch and hope that you've made a personal best. But this was completely different. So, so I had to, I had to focus on walking slow, which made me, you know, like see everything around me. Uh, I stopped. I saw a bird. I wondered which kind, what kind of bird is that. I walked uh, back a little, uh, looked at the bird, then started walking again. Uh, and kept on doing that for 12 hours. And uh, when I came, uh, when I came uh, to the end, I wasn't tired at all. I was. It almost felt like, uh, well, you know, like my brain was lighter. Almost. It was a very funny and strange experience. And it's so easy to do. You can just, you know, decide to just sit in your uh, living room uh, with the Google Maps, find a route that's long but not too long and then decide to walk it and you know like use five hours seven hours ten hours it's a fun experience and everybody can do it you you can just you know adjust both the distance and the time you want to use uh, depending on your age or your uh, physical shape or whatever so you walked 20 kilometers in a 12-hour period. Did I understand correctly? Yeah, that's correct. And you were not tired, not even the next day? The next day I was exhausted. <laughs> I could almost, I couldn't get out of bed. But the, when I was walking, I, I didn't notice anything. So uh, it's, uh, people should consider it, uh, as an experiment, uh, trying to walk as slow as possible, uh, which is something uh, that I'm quite certain almost nobody has ever tried. 
it's the opposite of absolutely everything we uh, we believe in. How can people learn more about getting into this mindset of walking in um how would we describe it in the way that you describe it in the book in the way that you've just just described this 20 kilometer walk as a mindful walk would that be accurate uh, absolutely absolutely well uh, one of the best things about walking is that everybody can do it uh, anytime really so you can start by walking um for a short uh, period of time in the afternoon or in the evening or in the morning and then you can just you know uh, expand your walking a little bit and and then after a while you will you will realize that you never think of it as working out that's one of the best things about it you don't even know you don't even need to put on uh, your uh, the clothes you use when you when you work out you can just walk in your regular clothing but you will soon realize that you uh, get in much better shape, that you probably, quite probably, feel more balanced, and that you have solved a lot of problems that otherwise would just, you know, uh, be there. Like, uh, you know, like we all have something we worry about or uh, some dilemmas that we never are able to solve, and... A lot of these things will, at least for me, um, be a lot easier to to handle when you walk regularly. I know it sounds a bit uh, a bit strange, but it's it's really true. So my my uh, my uh, recommendation to people is that you uh, you just have to realize that you are actually a walker, even though you don't walk that much. Uh, I mean, you've been a walker since you were about one year old. So we all know how to do it. We just uh, sometimes forget that it's possible to do it more often and, uh, and for some of us almost all of the time. What might we take on the walk? Uh, you should bring... Uh, something to drink and some food, of course, and maybe, uh, you know, have a small backpack with a, a raincoat or something, Depend, of course, depending on where you live. Um, and that's about every... Uh, I don't bring anything more than that. Uh, and, uh, and a pair of good shoes, but you should also consider to take them off and put them in your backpack. And then sometimes, of course, if I walk in a, in a city, I... Uh, Sometimes listen to podcasts. Uh, if I walk in the woods, I never listen to anything. Then I just have to, you know, focus on the natural sounds around me. But you really don't need anything uh, other than that. So basically, it's it's like, yeah. Well, I won't I won't say that walking is a is a sport, but it's an activity that can be that can be done without any kind of equipment so it's cheap as well perhaps a gps if you're walking somewhere unfamiliar you should bring a gps yeah you could uh, easily make that same experiment as i did but but definitely bring a gps uh you should or a map which is uh, still works so like in the cities for instance i was in uh, with my family two years ago, I think, in Venice. And in Venice, in Italy, uh, the strange thing is that uh, the buildings are so... The, the streets are so narrow that uh, the GPS doesn't really work. So I discovered, in the, you know, in this labyrinth of streets and buildings, suddenly I discovered that uh, the GPS didn't work. Google Maps didn't work, so I had to find my way back uh without without the gps and uh, and i uh luckily i had a map an old fashioned map and it worked as well so something you should bring something definitely but uh and if you want to go without and try to find your way the way your way on your own 
you should keep the GPS in the bottom of your backpack just uh, to be sure. Torbjorn, thank you for joining us from Oslo, Norway. Thank you very much for having me. And to our audience, you have been listening to Torbjorn Ekelund, who is author of In Praise of Paths, Walking Through Time and Nature, who discuss the benefits of walking. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.